Good morning. Hey, Lyle, is it true that if uh, someone doesn't know how to use Realm, Jeremy volunteered to sign all of them up personally? I think I heard. So that's what he, he said. Everybody at one time, come see him and he will sign you up for tacos if you don't know how to use Realm. But actually, I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, but I'm sure he probably wouldn't mind. I was uh, talking with First Service this morning and I was pleading with him. I was like, please, please come to the worship night. I was, I was at the last one. It was like I expected it to be one thing, and it exceeded, it exceeded the expectations. It was awesome. And there's free tacos. Uh, I know that sometimes we can worship our own ways in first service and second service, but I was like, just come here that night, and let's, let's uh, worship with one another. It's better, it'll definitely be better together. Uh, speaking of better together, we are going to wrap that series up today. Uh, I think it's been an incredible series. I remember when... Uh, I remember when Jeremy started, I think it was probably about two, two years ago, two and a half years ago, he was doing something, and he mentioned something about the one another commands in the New Testament, and how we couldn't act those commands out if we weren't here at church. I think he was trying to convince people to come back to the church following the online thing and COVID. Uh, I couldn't be sure, but I know I've been fascinated with that idea ever since. So when he was talking about we were doing a one another series, I was stoked. Um, definitely, definitely happy to be a part of that. Um, but this week, it is, like I said, this is the last week. So in a sense, it's going to kind of be a wrap-up. But I'm also kind of hoping that maybe it can be like an exclamation point since it's the last one. Uh, and I hope that this can be kind of like a, an encouragement for everybody to take this series with you uh, kind of for the rest of our lives. I don't want this to be just a series that comes and goes, and then we just move right into next week. I mean, this, this, uh, these one another commands are something that should just always be a part of us and be ingrained in who we are and how we do life together going forward. Uh, now, I do think Jeremy has done a good job, a great, actually a great job the last six weeks, because what he did was he took six biblical concepts, and these are, just in case you don't remember, this is the last week, so we'll sum them up. It was carry one another's burdens, encourage one another, spur one another, accept one another, admonish one another, and then last week we had forgive one another. But not only, did, not only did he give us six biblical concepts, but he did the hard part, which is kind of laying them out and saying, this is what the Bible says about these things. And then he gave us real practical ways that we can implement those um, principles in our lives. And for me, I think that that's always been the hardest part. It's like these, you give me a biblical concept and say, well, do this. I'm like, okay, that's great. How do I do that? What does that look like? I, I really am the kind of person, if you're like, I'm just like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. You're supposed to laugh. That's kind of a joke. Like anybody, anybody who knows me knows that's not really the way it goes. Uh, but today, so today will be a little bit different. Uh, we're still going to look at a one another command, but this is going to be more of a culmination, I would say, so to speak, of all of these commands. And if you've been paying attention, you probably have noticed that one big one another command has not been preached on. In fact, this might actually be the first one that we think about. If I was to challenge you, give me a one another command from the Bible, this is probably going to one, this would probably be the one that you would think of. And this is to love one another, right? You guys, uh, I see not everybody stayed up for the football game last night. You're definitely awake. Or at the very least, you read the top of your bulletin. So either way, we are on the right track. All right. So I'll invite you right now. You can go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, that's going to be it towards the end of the Bible, right before 2 Peter. We're going to be in this for, the most, for most of the morning, specifically 
for our sermon text, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. And this is where Peter is talking to Christians that are scattered abroad um, throughout the Roman Empire, throughout Asia Minor. He's trying to, trying to give a little bit of encouragement. And specifically, he says this in verse 22. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart is what Peter says. Now, when we think about love, what do we normally think about? I would say probably something along the lines of like Valentine's Day, maybe a, a romantic movie or a rom-com, as the cool kids call them. Maybe it's the love that we feel for our parents or our grandparents, maybe our uh, children or our spouses. This kind of love is real, and I think it's biblical. It's one, of the greatest, it's one of the greatest gifts that God can give us. I mean, one of the greatest gifts that I have is the ability to have a wife that I can love, and more importantly, to feel her love back. This is an emotional love. It's a familial love. And uh, most of us have no problem with this kind of love because we've all felt it. The Greek word for this is philadelphia, or for simplicity purpose, we'll say Philadelphia. And this literally means brotherly love, like the city, the city of brotherly love. Maybe it can be translated a mutual affection. I personally like what the NIV did with it here when they said a sincere love for one another. It says a, or a sincere love for each other. And what Peter tells us is that as, as the old is being replaced by the new, or in his words, he says, as we're being purified by our obedience to the gospel, this kind of love begins to extend beyond our, our family, our spouses and our children, brothers and sisters, and we begin to feel this way for one another, which leads to the command to love one another. It's agapsate aleluos. It's a command. He says, because you've begun to develop these feelings for each other, now go do it. Go love one another. Our feeling leads to action. Now, here comes the tricky part. Do I begin to uh, love you guys? Let's say, love my uh, friend Kiba sitting out there, and do I love Kiba the same way that I love my wife? No, no I see Kiba shaking. Kiba's like, no, and thank goodness, right, Kiba? No. But if Peter says that this Philadelphia love for one another can, should lead us to a love, um, should lead us to love one another deeply, then there must be another kind of love. It's a kind of love that we can act upon with one another. It's a kind of love that has its source in our creator and not simply in our emotions. This is what the Greek writers describe with the word agape. Agape. This is a God type of love. It's the kind of love that God has for us and the kind of love that Peter commands us to show each other. Philadelphia is the emotion we feel for each other. Agape is how we show it. Now the tension, honestly for me, it's really not is this kind of love possible because the Bible commands it, so we know that it is. But the tension for me is how is this love possible? All of these one another commands, they sound great. If it were just a matter of saying, well, God commands them, so go do them, then I'm sure every single one of us would probably be doing them in all areas of our lives. 
But what makes, but what makes us different from the world? How are we able to develop this kind of love and then begin to exhibit it in our lives and our relationships together? And here's a hint. It is not by our own accord. Which brings us to our first point in your bulletin. God has done great things so we can love how he loves. God has done great things so we can love how he loves. Now, I think 1 Peter chapter 1 does an amazing job of laying out the foundation of this first point. And if I'm being honest, I really, really wish that we could read the entire chapter together this morning. I thought about doing that, uh, but we can't. But I encourage you to read 1 Peter chapter 1, read the entire book. Uh, I mean, as a matter of fact, read the scriptures that we mentioned this morning. Read those today or throughout this week. I think it'll go a long, long way in just complementing what we're talking about today and really what we've been talking about in this entire series. But since we're limited on time, I'll do my best to highlight Peter's thoughts and try to get to the heart of what really enables this command, what he says leading up to this command um, that, that, that lets us believe that this can actually be done. Because personally, I think that's kind of what um, accurate and faithful Bible study is all about, is letting the Bible speak for itself on its own terms. So Peter's writing, a little background information, Peter is writing this letter to fellow Christians who kind of like us find themselves in a culture that's not super uh, friendly and loving. Not to each other, and especially not to Christians. This is a time when there was a Roman emperor named Nero who um, launched a campaign against the Christians, basically blaming them for a lot of problems going on in society. Problems that he had created, but just so people wouldn't look at him, he dangled the Christians out there and he said, hey, hate them, not me. Uh, I know that we probably would never see that in our own government, but they were having to deal with it back then. And unfortunately, Christians have always made an easy target when people need people to, or when, when, when someone needs people to blame. Uh, but what Peter does here is he doesn't take this time and, and whine about their circumstances or challenge the readers to take some sort of political action. He simply reminds them whose they are, where they've come from, and the links that God has gone through to make it happen. In verses 3 and 4, he reminds them of where their hope is found. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then he explains how blessed they are to be a part of all of this. Because all of the prophets and the people of God of the Old Testament had been looking forward to this day. But in verse 12, he says, But it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. And if that wasn't enough to light a fire, he reminded them of the cost the price that was paid for the new life that they now have. Verses 18 and 19, he says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He says, because of, because of all of this, that we just talked about, through this amazing plan of salvation 
And the fact that we've encountered this precious redeeming blood of Christ and the waters of our baptism, because of all of that, in verse 22 he says, love one another. Agapsapte alleluos. Love one another. And then Peter goes on throughout the rest of the book, and he details what, what our lives are going to kind of look like, how we should conduct ourselves while we're left here on earth, either waiting for our deaths or the eventual return of Christ. But there's no doubt in my mind that what was at the forefront of his mind was that God did all of this. He did, he did all of this so, so that we can be born again and begin to love how he loves And just like the Christians that Peter was writing to, we need that kind of love in our lives. Because we can't do this alone. We can't do it alone in here, and we certainly can't do it alone out there. And this brings us to our next point. We are instruments of God's love. Instruments of God's love. So what does it look like to love one another deeply? How do we live this out? Well, the easy answer is you could just go back and watch Jeremy's last six sermons, honestly. Um, that's, I'm kind of kidding, but, but in all reality, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about. All of these different one another commands that we've been studying, that we've been learning about, they all find their foundation in this agape type love. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 3.14. He says, and over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Whether we realize it or not, we are not that different than these first century Christians. Maybe we can't compare our struggles to their struggles. I mean, they were being put through fake trials. They were being locked up, beaten. They were accused of being troublemakers, accused of being atheists, of all things. They were even lit on fire in the city streets. But we certainly know heartache. We know what that pain feels like of loss or to be disliked. Maybe you, maybe you know what it feels like to lose a job and live in fear because you don't know if you have enough money to feed your family. Or that feeling you get when a loved one is laying in bed and they're getting, or laying in a hospital bed and they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker until eventually they can't fight anymore and they take their last breath. Or maybe you have been alienated by your friends and your family because you've decided to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ and you know what that abandonment feels like. These are just a few examples, but if you can see yourself in any of these, if you've ever felt that pain, and somebody was there to hold you together when you were falling apart, or somebody was there to help pick you up when you couldn't get up on your own, then you know firsthand what agape love feels like. It has little to do with warm, fuzzy feelings, a strong emotional connection. That's Philadelphia. Agape love is about sacrifice and selflessness and doing for each other what needs to be done because that's what God did for us. Now, our Bibles, I'm convinced that our Bibles are loaded with 
the theme that we're talking about today. So much so that when you try to prepare for a sermon like this, the hard part's not really, man, let me find some scriptures to put in my sermon. The hard part's really, what scriptures do I put in my sermon? Because there's so many to choose from. Uh, we heard from Lyle this morning, I mean, John, the Gospel of John and, and all of his letters are loaded with um, this concept of agape love. Almost every single one of Paul's letters are loaded with the idea. As a matter of fact, on a side note, like we just looked at for 1 Peter chapter 1, how we said that Peter leads up all the way through chapter 1 to get to this point of love one another, Paul does it in the entire book of Romans. Chapter 1 through 11 is probably the greatest breakdown of Christian theology and the Christian faith that's ever been recorded. And he does all of that in 1 through 11 to get to chapter 12 and say, now, by the renewing of your minds, you can love one another. He says, because of all of this that we just talked about, all that God did to forgive you of your, to save you from your sins and to reconcile you to himself, now by the renewing of your minds, you can love one another. Read Romans this week. Uh, you will not be able to miss it. I'm sure of that. Um, but, even with great, but even with great examples like this, we make our way back to Jesus. And there's a famous story in Luke chapter 10 it's maybe one of the most famous stories in the Bible. I don't know, uh, maybe. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan. And when asked what the greatest commandment is, when asked by a scribe what the greatest commandment is, Jesus responds with this. This is 1027, Luke 1027. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, this is an Old Testament quote, so that could kind of show us that God's been pretty serious about this from the very beginning. But when the scribe asked Jesus down in verse 29, he says, explain to me who my neighbor is. Or as I read this, he's saying, all right, who do I have to love? Where can I cut this off? How about that? Who do I not have to love? That's kind of how I imagine he's, how I imagine he's asking that. And Jesus at this point gives us a gut check moment. All right? He's, Jesus tells a story about a man who was beaten and left for dead. I imagine it's being like some bad neighborhood, right? People are being beaten and left for dead on the streets. And two very religious men walk by. They see the man because they end up crossing the street just so they could walk by. Oh, I don't want to have to deal with that. I'm sure they probably went to church later that day and said a prayer for him. Then finally, a Samaritan, the last person that you would expect to help, at least in the mind of the Jews. He stops, he embraces the man, he dresses his wounds, he takes him to an inn or an Airbnb, whatever they had back then, and he tells the innkeeper, take care of this man. Whatever you have to do, do it. And then he even covered the bill. You see, like the scribe, I think that we often focus on who's the neighbor in this passage. After all, that was the question that was asked. But if you notice, Jesus answers this question, but he also answers another question that wasn't asked. And I think it's because he knew that that scribe's idea of love is probably just as shallow as the world's idea of it is today. Maybe even some of ours. It's not about feeling sorry for someone or saying, well, I'll pray for you. 
if you have it in your power to help. Prayer is of utmost importance. I firmly believe that. But what if God puts you there to be their answer to prayer? This kind of love Jesus is describing is about sacrifice, and it's about putting one another's needs above our own. And guess what? It might hurt from time to time. It might cost you something. We may have to give up our egos or our safety or our revenge. But we might even have to give up our time or our comfort or, dare I say, our money. But to love someone deeply, like Peter tells us to do, we need to shed our old way of thinking, that part of ourselves that's only concerned with ourselves, and we need to be willing to step into someone's life and be an instrument of love for God. I want to take a minute. I'm going to do one of those awkward sermon things. So I want everybody to just look around the room for a minute. Look at the people in front of you. Look at your neighbors. It's not going to be awkward, I promise, because everybody else is doing it. So it's not like they're thinking you're somehow weird, right? Look at, look, at, look at your neighbors. Look at the people behind you. And I want you to look at their faces. Look at their faces. If you look at your neighbor, look at them long enough so you remember what they look like. All right, now you can stop and just close your eyes for me, please. I want you to think back to that time when you were broke. You couldn't buy food. You couldn't pay your bills. And the fear that you had. Or that time when you were losing a loved one and you just felt absolutely hopeless and alone. Think about your worst moment and that that, that pain and that feeling that you get just swelling up from the inside and you feel like that at any moment you might burst and nobody could ever do anything to help you through it. Now I want you to picture your neighbor's face. And if they were feeling that pain, would you be willing to do whatever it takes and give whatever you have to take it away? You can open your eyes. Jesus says in John 15, 13, he said, no one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And friends, we've been prepared for this. God has provided us the greatest gift that could ever be imagined, and that's the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been born again, into a new way of life, and even the angels long for what you have. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Now, I want to end with a story today. It's a, you may have heard it because it is a true story, um, but it's a powerful one, I think, and I think it illustrates what we're talking about. There was a man, he was driving a bus, I believe that this was somewhere near Chicago, but I couldn't confirm that. And an unruly passenger was on the bus causing problems. So the bus driver asked him to leave. At first, it looked like the guy was going to comply because he got off the bus without many issues. But for whatever reason, he couldn't let it go. And a few stops later, he got back on the bus. And what happened next, I would say, is nothing short of horrific. 
Without going into all the gruesome details, the man proceeded to beat on the bus driver over and over and over again until the bus driver couldn't even hold his hands up and defend himself. He was unconscious. Now, he did survive, but it wasn't without broken bones throughout his body and his face. He slowly began to heal, and when he got out of the hospital, he was tormented by what happened. And eventually he knew that he had to confront the man who did this to him. So he went to the jail where the man was being kept to see him. And the bus driver's heart melted when he looked into his attacker's eyes, and suddenly there was no anger or hate left in his heart. He could see the broken man sitting there behind those bars, desperate for mercy, and the bus driver just broke into tears. The attacker, moved by the bus driver's compassion, pleaded for forgiveness. He just kept saying over and over again, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And the bus driver ended up visiting the man the rest of the time he was in jail. And uh, eventually his court date came, and of course the man pled guilty, pled guilty to his crimes. And when the judge asked the bus driver, said, hey, do you have anything you want to say um, during, um, on that day of sentencing? The bus driver made his way to the front, still battered, still bruised from the attack. And he said, your honor, I know that you are required by law to hand down whatever sentence that you see fit for this crime. He said, but I have one request, and that's that you let me serve the punishment rather than him, because I can't bear to see my friend suffer anymore. That's love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just ask you today in the presence of one another and and your son, Jesus Christ, that you equip us with this kind of love. Lord, we ask that you soften our hearts to feel what others feel and move in our hearts to help meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we ask for the privilege that you allow our hearts to break for what breaks yours. Lead us to be doers of your word, not just hearers of your word. Lord, we thank you for loving us, giving us new life and allowing us to be born again into a way of life that opens the door for this kind of love. God, you've moved heaven and earth to get us to this point, and we just pray for the courage to keep going. We love you, we love one another, and we pray for peace and comfort, not just for ourselves, but for your church around the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.